Audacious Compassion, Episode 21, Unironic Devil's Advocate. Toothpaste, lemonade, polka dots and stripes, you're a dark night, and I'm the day. Hello, and welcome to Audacious Compassion, a podcast where we explore how to find compassion in the most difficult places in daily life. I'm Gregory Avery Weir. And I'm Melissa Avery Weir. And today we'll be talking about proxy arguments, where a disagreement is really about ideological differences. So, uh, how are you doing, Melissa? I'm generally doing well. Um, Had an interesting incident on Facebook a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook. Um, and I certainly don't spend much time in arguments. Seems like a good life choice. Yeah, uh, I like myself and the world better for it. But in this case, I saw someone spreading an opinion that had sort of harmful effects. Uh, this person was, for the sake of humor, very dramatically saying that they hated a particular grammatical construct. Mm. People who write or say should have instead of should have or should have uh-huh. as a contraction. Which, okay, fine, whatever, grammar. Yeah, sure, that's wrong. Like, sure, okay. sure. But it extended to calling people who use it lazy and willfully ignorant because they're circumventing uh-huh. autocorrect to do these things, uh, which is not necessarily actually the case. Um, and... You know, you went to school just like I did, like all mm. sorts of things, and just like they did. Well, I mean, they went to school with me, so oh, fair enough. <laughs> we were high school friends, and so I was a little bit shocked, uh, in part because um, this person is black; they are queer. Um, I know that they have had to be; they have been told that they sound white, just like I do. They've been told, like. One of the things that made us good friends was our bonding over sort of like the BS of being a white, white acting black person. Yeah, like Um, you'd think that someone who has had their speech policed would be a little more sensitive. Right. So um, the comment section was just sort of a mess of generally people agreeing and cheering on and so on. Um, with one poor exception, who <laughs> I did not want to be her, so... Bless her heart. Yeah. So I posted on my own wall. I didn't even connect him to it. Like, I was not particularly interested in engaging with his brand of humor and, and clapback bullshit. So um, I uh, so I posted on my own wall. I posted a, just a bunch of stuff about um, prescriptive versus descriptive language definitions, where you can say, um, in a prescriptive language discussion you can say this is what english is and any other uses of english are wrong and here's a textbook that can describe these for you in a descriptive paradigm you look and you say how is language being used by people who speak english Um, and that becomes the primary way in which you define english so there is a subset of people a substantial subset of people who use should have would you put it in a textbook sure i guess not but do you say you're not speaking english well or do you, do you, you know, like, what is the, what yeah. is the point of that? And like that, that the very popularity of prescriptive grammar was in part made due to trying to exclude in other people. Exactly. Like, there's this whole line of grammatical rules that are actually just ways that the well-educated people in England could tell who was not actually well-educated and who was new money. Exactly. And so what I pointed out in the article, in, in my post is that you when you take a purely prescriptive approach it is best to ask yourself who is harmed when they do not adhere to these rules yeah i mean it's it's one thing to say academic writing is like this and this is how you should do academic writing if you want to get your paper accepted which is another thing to be probably problematic in and of itself but outside of the realm but that's a different like that's a discussion of the society of academia right if you're saying like people's forum posts yeah shouldn't should use proper contraction style like so low on the order of importance right and the answer to who is usually hurt by this is usually various people of color people that are poor people that that are in various other socioeconomic statuses that are not that means they do not sit around learning quote-unquote standard american english and applying it rigorously in all of their writing yeah i mean we talked about like schools right Right. like y'all two went to 
a magnet school, right? Like, But also an incredibly poor school. It was a very weird school. Mm-hmm. It was a school in a high poverty area and was heavily black but was also a magnet school so you got this immense stratification between yeah, magnet schools are like places where people come from around the district school district mm-hmm. in order to like get spe- special classes based on some discipline right so right. this was what an ap advanced placement for college classes this was international baccalaureate okay. and math science and technology so usually for magnet schools you have to apply you go into a lottery um, some of them have prerequisites um, i don't know if harding did so anyway I posted this, he found it, which is fine, but he came in like hot and rude (laughs) and a dear friend and I sort of talked with him about things, but it was rude for a while. And then I think once the term white supremacy was mentioned, he really settled down, but he also slammed me on his own wall for having like vague posted and like all this stuff is happening around this discussion Mm -hmm. that... You know, he felt bad for not being included or not being included a certain way or like his his feelings about this resulted in me being smeared for some reason. So I was accused of shaming and all this sort of stuff. Um, But it was one of those conversations that like by the end, you know, an ideological consensus had been reached. But I was like, dude, I definitely do not ever want to engage with you again on this because you were an absolute jerk all over Facebook about this. Right. So that was unpleasant, caused me quite a bit of anxiety. Part of the reason why I have a four-hour rule, where if I'm going to send an email, mm-hmm. something happens that upsets me, I'm going to send an email. I'll try to take four hours before I send it. And that gives me time to revise and, and calm down and think through it and talk to other people. Um, the problem is that if I'm in a situation where the four-hour rule doesn't apply, I still take those four hours. <laughs> it's just not in the argument. It's... I posted the last post of the night and then spent four hours reiterating on what I could have said. Uh, and yeah, then, Right. Yeah. Like, um, and so it works in a workplace, but it does not work when it's, when it's done. Um, so anyway, that was stressful, but it's over and I'm not terribly anxious about it again. Um, and I'm not hung up on it or anything like that anymore, but it was, it was a weird argument. I was like, how are we arguing about like, should have, I don't know. Yeah. So, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I don't know that that my recent life is that much in relation to our our general theme of the episode, but uh, I just got my tires replaced. Yay! Uh, they they really really needed it. Um, I I did not. I failed a, a car inspection. Um, they were like, "You need to replace your tires." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll do it real soon." And then it took me a while mm-hmm. to do it. <laughs> I've got chronic depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. I'm relatively only recently properly medicated i went years and years and years and years trying to kind of stick it out on my own Mm -hmm. and i'm still adjusting into like how do i do things when i'm no longer having panic attacks like yeah uh one of the things that's that's helped a lot recently is kind of viewing my situation through a different lens it's really easy when you've got depression or anxiety or most mental diseases to treat it as different from other illnesses like to be like Uh, willpower is what i need to get through this yep you you very seldom see someone be like i've got lupus so i just need to try harder unfortunately i think lupus might be a bad lupus might be a bad example people do get told that i think (laughs) but like you know anything from muscular dystrophy to to i mean these are all different yeah levels of things and different sorts of things and Mm -hmm. different levels of impact on your life but like all these things are things that you have control over your reaction to and how you run your life under their influence but looking at my mental problems as there's this chronic illness i have sometimes it flares up sometimes it's worse sometimes it's it's better it doesn't mean that that's an excuse for anything i do but Mm -hmm. like if i treat it that way and i'm like is this a day where i have to compensate more for this thing Mm -hmm. you know do i do things on good days or on bad days depending on what the thing is and that's that's been helpful i don't know that i you know take the identity of disabled there are certain experiences of accommodation and so on that i haven't really had to to go through that makes me uncomfortable going that far but Mm -hmm. like at least looking using some of those frameworks of illness and disability to look at 
the troubles that I have, you know, getting my car in proper repair where it's safe to drive and safe for passengers paying bills on time and all that like yeah that's a situation where you know there is a thing with my brain where those things are harder for me than other people or at least different yeah than other people um so that's that's sort of been a very minor epiphany for me being like oh hey i take pills every day they help treat this illness i have yeah and i also should be doing the things that i need to do myself to Mm -hmm. a get stuff done i need to get done and b not beat myself up when the illness makes it so that i don't get stuff done right Um, so that's i don't know that perspective has been interesting and that's that's a thing that i think a lot of people have talked in great lengths about how mental illness is treated differently than other illnesses Mm -hmm. and how that's not cool yeah uh and it's i think it's still an ongoing cultural effort i think so and I think the standards are shifting, and you know, I'm not on Twitter as much these days, but you used to see the periodic, here's a self-care tweet. Mm. Did you bathe today? Did you, like, just nice little reminders. And then you started seeing critiques of what that kind of self-care means, not the bathing part, but like, mm-hmm. if self-care means staying in bed and reading for a day, is that actually self-care? Critiques of the self-care. And then you see critiques of the critiques of the self-care. Mm-hmm. And so while I don't <laughs> really care to involve myself in those discussions except for picking and choosing what works for me i do think that it's really good that our culture is finally at least even having these discussions where not all of those are considered lazy or Mm -hmm. if you have to be reminded to take a bath then you're a gross or whatever right like something not valuable to society or something i think i think a conversation that's still ongoing in both the kind of the mental illness discussion and like around things like autism spectrum Mm -hmm. disorder is stuff like to what extent is something hey let's be tolerant or acceptant of this because of this illness Mm -hmm. and what part is it like it's not cool being a jerk or letting people down regardless of yeah of what it is like i don't make i try not to make commitments anymore that i'm not confident i can satisfy because it's okay if i can't do a thing Mm -hmm. due to my illness or or that it'll be harder or i don't have the spoon sword or whatever but it's not okay for me to say i will do it and then not do it we should link to spoon theory in our oh yeah yeah yeah. i think we've talked about it a bit before but it's just generally the sort of thing you've only got so much fuel for the day um it originally comes out of the chronic physical disability Mm -hmm. community and it's just like you know sometimes you spend all your energy on getting out of bed and going shopping and you don't have time for cleaning the house right um just sort of metering your effort over the day so that you're not worn out the next day right and thinking about the the commitments aspect i think that is a tough one to deal with in dating and relationships as well definitely yeah um i have struggled with finding the balance between saying i need more Mm -hmm. than what someone can provide in terms of their energy levels or their ability Mm -hmm. to commit but i also do not want to contribute to the stigmatization of right and i have my own mental illnesses to deal with right so that's really that's Mm -hmm. tough it's like how do you balance your own needs and desires versus understanding the societal impact of similar behavior? Kudos, though. Your car is safe. Yes. Safe, probably. I still need to check the power steering fluid, figure out what that awful squealing noise is. But, but yes, I no longer have underinflated worn tires. Or the brakes. The brakes, the brakes no longer are down to the metal uh, and warped. So, yay! Accomplishment. No Ma- need to major accomplishment. Well, I have taken care of the thing that means that I don't have to feel bad about about the past stuff because you know no one did get killed by my car. We are dapping. It, yes, it's, we. It's we, an audio format. Yes. So that that's sort of like how do you frame interpersonal problems? Mm-hmm. Like how how much is it related to the our wider social context and like the the systems of oppression and, and marginalization? That's something that's come up a lot in a, a site oh. that we both well we use for the show right so that i don't frequent it on my own time and i've um, kind of drifted away in part because of some of the issues that have come up but this is the, the interpersonal stack exchange yeah we've been using interpersonal stack exchange as a source of, of topics for the podcast it's a question and answer site that is part of a, a family of sites but mm-hmm. it's dedicated to hey give us questions about interpersonal skills mm-hmm and you will get kind of crowdsourced answers that can be voted on which one's best and which one's worse. Right. 
emphasis on voting as mm-hmm. a measure of quality and a strong emphasis on a lack of discussion happening in there like this this format comes from what's called stack overflow which is a programming site it's phenomenal like it's mm-hmm. it's i'm there every day i have three tabs open every day like it's, it's probably it's, the de facto most important educational source for programmers for professionals in the world. at least professionals yeah, yeah. And in programming, you certainly get a lot of opinionated people, but it's much easier to say, you are no longer giving an answer, you are arguing about the merits of this. Make your own answer. Does this have something in it that makes code compile? If not, you haven't answered the question. Exactly. And they will strike questions if they are too opinion-based, because asking what program should I use to make my program when there are 50 answers is not actually a useful thing for the community. So when you take this this format and move it to interpersonal skills... Which they've had success doing with other topics like role-playing or, yeah. or sci-fi fandom or whatever. Which is the sci-fi fandom one and the world-building ones yeah, are really are good. Fun. When you move it to... <laughs> let's see. what's The one that, that caught my eye and sent me down this rabbit hole was there's a person in my RPG game who was showing cleavage... And I'm worried I offended her by looking. How do I apologize or should I? And that's a decently well-framed question. I have this situation. This is the problem. Here's the scope. How do I apologize is the question I'm asking. Right. Um, especially given that the, you don't really want to talk about the fact that you stared at someone's chest, right? right? Like, so that's so, so sorts of things. There. It's subjective, yeah. but something that could get a good answer. Right. And a lot of programming things are subjective too, Sure, yes, right? yes. Like, how, what do you What's the right you... style for this or exactly. whatever? Exactly. And so some of the answers were good. Well, one of the answers was good. <laughs> Other comments were, why do you think you need to apologize? If she's showing her cleavage, then she wants to be looked at. Mm-hmm. And then it started using some language that is evocative of other things, particularly in American culture, like saying she was asking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they, I think they made clear that they did not mean physical action, like rape or assault. Right. Yeah. But the term asking for it is a very loaded yeah. one. And things just devolved. And that is happening all over that site. So the way these sites are organized is you have this question and answer thing for the actual questions of interpersonal skills. And then all of these sites have what's called a meta site mm-hmm. where they discuss how they manage that site. So it's what kinds of questions aren't valid? Why did this discussion get closed? Why, and... why is this answer voted down? And it works really well, again, on other sites, on other Stack Exchange sites where they are discussing how much of a coding style question is too subjective, right? Mm-hmm. Like they can they can put they can at least have discussions about that and that target moves over the years. Mm-hmm. As the culture shifts, that kind of thing changes. But this is a new site mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's imploding. It is totally understandable. If you were sitting at a table with someone and they said I was staring at this person's cleavage and worried I made them concern, a person at the table might very well go You've got nothing to worry about. She was showing her cleavage. It was there. You can look at it. But having that in this format, you start to begin to raise an ideological thing. Yeah. And I think the answer, don't bother. Just don't bring it up, is at least a valid answer. Might be one that I'd vote up. I think it was actually the, it might be the winning answer because women expect it. Sure. It's not worth making a big deal about it, I think was the answer. But if your answer is, you don't need to apologize because these women these days is clearly pulling in a different argument. Right. And the way that these discussions are happening is not in the form of answers. It's happening as comments on the original post. So they're kind of Mm -hmm. buried in and there's a lot of back and forth and bickering. And so you see moderators just take these whole conversations and either mass delete them or move them all into this side channel so they can chat about it. Because part of the point of the site is that you don't have to wade through exactly. discussion in order to get a good answer. It's not intended to be a forum. You're not intended to have to sift through things. You're supposed to be able to glance, see a good title, say, I think this is a question I'm looking for, see the clear question written out with a clear que- you know, mm-hmm. question in it, and then the answer's ranked. And you probably have less than five answers. I feel like this sort of site, the interpersonal site specifically, Mm -hmm. was always going to be prone to this, right? Yes. Because we've got this ideological argument in society, especially U.S. society right now. How do you balance being kind to people versus being able to make your own choices? Like that that agency versus kindness discussion Mm -hmm. um, where I think you and I very much 
fall on the side of being kind and compassionate in ways that don't actually require much effort. Yeah. It often feels like the things that people complain about are actually very tiny burdens compared to the burdens that are inflicted on people when folks aren't kind to them. Yeah. So if we're talking about like marginalized folks and oppression and like using words that don't hurt people, like it's real easy to not use a word that doesn't hurt people. Right. And if if it's not easy for you to avoid using slurs, then you know, maybe you've got some stuff you need to work on yourself right. to kind of clear up those toxins in your own psyche. Yeah. But because there's this argument going on, if you open a site that's like interpersonal skills, here are all these problems where people have been hurt by things that I've done. What do I do? You're going to get those people who are like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to advance my ideological agenda. Right. So there, there are two camps that have mm-hmm. entrenched on this site. They have entrenched into this, like, one group is saying, you know, the site's either too American or it's too SJW, that's Social Justice Warrior, in case anyone listening to this podcast doesn't know what that means, and too anti-male, that sort of thing. And then this other group, you would think that by default would be the more appealing one. We're, we're probably more ideologically aligned with them than with the other group. But, but not, not behaviorally. They're couching their arguments about how to run this site and how to answer questions in this framework of either you're not obeying the be nice rule or you're not obeying these other community rules. Sort of these structural rules of this specific site. Yeah. Instead of actually talking about... Things have come up about anti-Semitism. Things have come up about like various other race things. And it's just weird. I mean, I don't... I did not enjoy sifting through that site looking for things. To be unironically a devil's advocate. Ooh, the devil don't need no more advocates. So we have That's an awesome formed... quote. That's, yes. our, that's our one. That's our... <laughs> that's our one for the episode. <laughs> so we form these communities, and in part, the ones that we form from scratch, we have deliberately injected our ideological view on, mm-hmm. right? Like, we have made uh, a role-playing community that is focused around compassion and consent over agency, uh, and a few things like that. And we think that's cool mm-hmm. because we think it's right. Yes. And there are people that would not think that that was morally right or that some other moral value should win over that. Yep. And in that case, like, we made those communities, right? Right. So we constructed it to be that. And if someone wants to be a part of it but wants it to be something different, they get to make their own. Mm-hmm. In the case of interpersonal stack exchange... Mm-hmm. Those ideological values weren't particularly baked in. Like, Stack Exchange itself has certain values that I think are good, for the most part. Mm -hmm. But this is a case where this site was created without an ideological underpinning, other than we want to do what's right and be skilled in interpersonal stuff. We do have a case in this case where both sides are absolutely being ideologically driven and politicized Mm -hmm. anytime you apply ideological values to a community you are going to exclude at best people who want to be deliberately cruel just for the sake of cruelty right yeah and so you have to kind of be accepting and honest about that exclusion yes like what kind of people are we willing to exclude or make not feel welcome right and you've got to be okay with if you're welcoming group a you are not being welcoming to a group that thinks that A should not be present. Right. Whether A is men's rights activists or A is transgender people. Right. And that's a thing that I think a lot of people have trouble with because people don't want to say, yes, I'm deliberately being unwelcoming. So can you have, can you have a community that talks about situations that people are in and have a way for those ideological differences to either exist or manifest themselves in a way that's healthy. So, like, if all of those people were posting answers instead of bickering in comments, would the site be better? I think that there are certain differences that you cannot resolve in the context of that community. If this site is going to survive, (laughs) they have to define what they mean by interpersonal skills in the context of marginalized folks. If they can't even agree on what marginalized folks are... There is going to have to be a critical mass yeah. of people who say, no, this is what this is the definition we're going to use. Yeah. And if you don't like this definition, here's the door. Yeah. Like, make another yeah. site. Yep. 
just like in in the stack exchange format if you don't like my answer don't argue about it in the comments yep make your own answer that says something else yeah they have other right. sites for other kinds of questions and answers if... and tr and just try and get a pickup artist <laughs> site started if you want to you will fail you will also on, find on them. stack exchange <laughs> okay. you will find them outside of stack exchange but it turns out that this is my own personal ideological bias, mm -hmm. but I think there are certain modes of thought that are compatible with a healthy community that is open to randos. Yeah. And there are points of view that aren't. Yeah. And I think that the point of view of compassion and deliberately accepting other people is going to win out in that context over views of, well, this is how I am. Other people need to accept me. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. In part because I think that my way's better. <laughs> um, hmm. Usually at this time we sort of sum up what we think should be done. But boy, I'm not sure like... They any... Those folks don't know how to talk to each other. Yeah. They don't which know is, how to talk to each other. Which, if you're an enthusiast for a site that is about asking questions about interpersonal skills, you might not be an expert on interpersonal skills. Fair. It also does not make you well suited to conflict resolution yeah. in that space. So... I guess one thing I'd say is if you are forming a community, mm -hmm. pick your ideological boundaries. And do some research. Yeah. Okay, so I see this professionally just as a programmer. For the first five years of someone's career, they make a lot of architectural decisions based on things they've seen go wrong in their previous jobs. I'm mm -hmm. not going to do it this way. I'm not going to do it this other way. Yeah. Don't build a community that way. Right. Don't, so... don't make a set of rules that are don't do this, don't do this, don't do this without... A theoretical underpinning of like right here are my actual values and and don't be like we're just not going to be twitter right yeah look up what codes of conduct should look like look up what kinds of decisions you and the people in your community will be forced to make like don't be surprised when someone doesn't obey mm -hmm. your format for where yeah. to put comments like yeah this is this was gonna happen not that i'm saying the ips people are surprised but no they're but, clearly a little but on their they're, back they're, yeah they're, they're not they're on the defense yeah and i think that that another thing is on the topic of like do your research and and be be bold with your values is even if you value consensus or mm -hmm. voting agreement or whatever, even, like even soft consensus, yeah. like yeah, like like but know what that does. means. Know what that means, and also consensus does not mean that you do not have leaders. Mm -hmm. e even in a group where everyone has to agree on everything, it still makes sense for there to be one person who's like, "Hey, I'm going to take point on coming up with a good code of conduct." Yeah. Yep. And once they do. You can then have discussions about, oh, I changed this. Oh, do we approve it? Do we not? Do we not approve it? Do we want someone else to be making it? And there are very good open source codes of conduct. Yeah, that is something that's been happening in recent years. I think is seems wonderful, has the potential to be to stay wonderful, <laughs> which is okay. We put a code of conduct out. We put it in use. Here are some iterations on it. Yeah, right. Like you get a GitHub style type of thing that allows you to use something that is tried and true instead of what we've seen in some more role-playing type communities where what code of conduct there is almost entirely just be nice or yeah. don't be a Which jerk. I think most people think they're being nice enough or being not being too much of a jerk. Yeah, or they, I mean, you, you get the I'm telling it like it is type, sure. which doesn't yep. even pretend to be nice. But yeah, like people who search for consensus and to be as universally welcoming as they can often fall into the trap of not wanting anyone to take initiative yeah because you need to get agreement in order to even start doing a thing and i would say okay so if you really want to geek about this mm -hmm. so i was the the treasurer of our uu church for part of a year and there are books on governance yep and governance like i don't mean like governing a country but i mean like governing communities and churches is like a thing yeah robert's rules of order were not the end of the no. conversation about how to run meetings and how to run organizations right and a lot of these some at least the, the books i was sort of given were they're coming from faith-based communities but they're not written from a perspective of like 
I am a priest and God will guide our way. Yeah. They're written from a perspective of this has its own problems, but we are humans and we are flawed and we are coming together to form a community, yeah. right? So you get a little bit of Garden of Eden kind of crap. But yeah. discussions of what does consensus mean? Does that mean a quorum? Do you form a committee to run things? Does that mean that you have an oligarchy as a result, mm-hmm. right? Intentional thought about these kind of things. And you can geek about this for a while. Yeah. There's some really... I learned a lot of cool things working with that group. I'm enough of a hippie. I like some of the stuff that comes out of the Society of Friends, the Quakers, ah. who are who are very, very much on the angle of, let's keep on this until everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. Which, again, doesn't mean that everyone is in agreement. Right. I think maybe IPS needs more geeks, more community geeks. I mean, IPS <laughs> needs more interpersonal skills geeks. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that is hard. It is incredible. And it's, it's not volunteer. a volunteer. Yep. And it's not a thing that's very easy to get, like, to say, I am a professional at this. Right. Like, there, there are social workers, there are mm-hmm. sociologists, there are ministers and community organizers that yep. are trained. But none of those actually really specifically apply to how do we start a website right. to talk about this stuff. Yep. I mean, seems like we have come up with a few ways that are at least a way forward or a way to yeah. stop repeating those mistakes. I think so. So, what have you been inspired by lately? Well, I, speaking of <laughs> ideological differences, I guess, have been mm-hmm. watching The New Queer Eye. Ah. This is a Netflix show that's a follow-up or a, a reboot of an old show that was originally called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy from Bravo. The original <laughs> Queer Eye was a very formative show for me. Yeah. Like, I was in late high school, almost an adult mm-hmm. um, at the time, and so it's a, it is a, in its original conception is a makeover show where five gay guys make over a straight man. So each of the... Both, each... In, both in personness and house. Right. So so each of the five has a different specialty. There's mm-hmm. one that does fashion, clothes. There's one that does interior design. There's a grooming person that's like hair and how to bathe. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a food person mm-hmm. uh, for, for like you should be able to cook your own meals mm-hmm. and then there's a very loosely defined culture person who in the original show is usually like every episode we're going to do some sort of event and i'm going to help you like, like go to a museum like have a dinner party or oh, okay. do a do a opening to your store or you know okay. help with a friend's wedding yeah and one of the things about it that i think was was very good is that the original had five very different gay dudes in it mm-hmm. there was one that was you're like will and grace really femme like yeah total stereotypical gay dude and then went all the way over to like you know like a like <laughs> yeah, a kind of geeky <laughs> dude that most straight people wouldn't flag as gay yeah especially at that time <laughs> yeah uh and you know there's there's an interesting arc over the course of each episode where they initially like shock the person by sort of invading their house and, and yeah. going through it all but that by the end they've taught them things and had them feel good about themselves and there's always sort of this focus about we want to get you into a position where you are behaving like you want to yeah but this new show which is a, a new set of five people oh i didn't know that yeah yeah so oh. it's a completely new set of people weird okay and it's also uh people who in several cases were inspired in their careers by the original queer eye nice god we're old yep (laughs) this show has definitely a deliberate focus on not just sort of presenting diversity of gay folks and showing that they can get along with straight folks but to actually address some important issues yeah i would say a good half of the episodes are almost deliberately making uncomfortable pairings putting having them talk to very religious people or having them help in one case a cop with two people of color on there in the group or they go to like a small town fire station to mm. to like help the fireman that is clearly intentional yeah. because every episode there is some segment in which usually when they're like in the car driving from one you know one store to another or one event to another one of the fab five the the five hosts will look over and be like so you mentioned this Ah. what's the deal or or the target of the makeover will give sort of a a provocative statement that's may or may not have been coached um you know like in the first episode it's are you the so are you the you're married are you the husband or the wife and they're like oh wait let's unpack that but they actually like do unpack that yeah and i have issues with I think that the way they do it is not the way I would do it. Sure. They're very much trying to get a meeting of minds. 
Yeah. Like they want, their goal in each of these cases is almost always to either get a group that normally kind of others queer people and vice versa mm-hmm. to recognize the humanity yep. of the of the people and not just in an abstract sense but in a hey we, we hung out we made grilled cheese together they're either trying to get that connection mm-hmm. and and recognition or they're dealing with like social issues surrounding identity so like demonstrating vulnerability is actually a sign of strength not a sign of weakness yeah. and how do you perform masculinity in modern culture and not worry about this thing or this other thing um how do you take responsibility how do you demonstrate your care for others and how you take care of yourself yeah and it's really cool and i I really like the additional focus on meta issues right like teaching lessons clearly to the person being made over but also to the audience right right they're they're deliberately softballing like i said there there are cases in which they're not focusing on structural issues and instead going like we can all get along because we'll recognize each other as humans. Yeah. But they're targeting those people that need that step first. Yeah. That need to recognize the personhood of other folks and, and recognize that a group isn't just monolithic. Yeah. That there's variety in it. And you can't say all gay people this or all cops this. Right. Because in any group there are going to be... Yeah. yeah. They don't go on to say, and and to what degree do even the good eggs contribute to the problem? Right. But I think that that can be addressed later. Yeah. So I think it's a really cool way of of redoing this, this show, and kind of bringing it into the modern world. Yeah. Uh, And I really hope that it has the same sort of cultural effect that the original Queer Eye did. Yeah. Because basically, the concept of the metrosexual and the blurring of the lines, which is problematic as it is, right? Yeah. But that blurring of the lines between... Yeah. If you care about your appearance, that does not mean you're a queer. Right. That was essentially entirely the responsibility in American culture of Queer Eye, the original yeah. Queer Eye. Yeah. God. So Being called Metro. Yep. I, I, I was not, obviously. I, 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 I totally <laughs> You was. were. I called you that yep, in college. You called me that, and I think I probably called myself that. You, I, and yes, you liked it. It was, it was fine. It, sure. It, it, but it, I mean, we it, recognize now yeah. some of the weirdness around that and the fact that you needed to define an identity for... Someone who liked to wear button downs. I like that shirt, though. That, that shirt you wore all the time. That caused us to call you Metro. <laughs> <laughs> but it... It was what's weird is how quickly that label died. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> I think in part because the people who were comfortable with it, half of them went, "Oh wait, I actually am queer," <laughs> and so the and the rest went, "Why am I calling myself something that specifically means I'm not queer?" <laughs> right? <laughs> like, so people were either like, "No, I just care about." my appearance yeah. and i think that there in popular culture there was also the rise of various areas of pop culture the idea of being well dressed your early and Kanye being West well coiffed and yeah early yeah 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 that that became more popular possibly because of that sort of cultural shift yeah and so it no longer needed to be called out with an identity with a label you could have hyper masculine people dressing well and yeah. proud of dressing well yep. and not need a new label for it and it became swallowed up in the either i have lots of money Mm -hmm. culture um of entertainment or just like hey we're adults now and can dress ourselves for success sort of yeah sort of thing yeah so what have you been inspired by lately oh this was a toughie for me uh i dithered over two things to talk about but i'm settling on james comey's new book that's Uh, a higher loyalty higher loyalty i think it's called it just came out a few days ago um, I'm listening to the audiobook, which, which he narrates himself. He narrates himself, which is almost always a a pick for me. I mean, we talked about Trevor Noah's book mm-hmm. at length, I think, or I at least wax on about it at length. So I'm not too far in Nakomi's book, a handful of chapters or so. So it talked a lot about his childhood, his early career working for Giuliani of and, New York, who did a lot of um, mafia boss takedowns yeah and, and for those who are com- reading from the future or don't pay attention to current events comey was the director of the fbi uh in the u.s when donald trump became president yeah and so he was eventually fired because he refused to cooperate or just did not cooperate with some of trump's trying to affect investigations and demand loyalty and, right. and such and and comey is a complicated figure because he is also given a share of blame for for trump being elected at all 
Uh, he sort of reminded the public that a criminal investigation was still ongoing about Hillary Clinton just a little bit before the final election. Uh, and it seems to have shifted the polls, the final few percentage points that it took for Trump to win. So he's not a particularly well-loved person on either side of American politics. He is he's a charming person. He's a lawyer by trade, which is weird to me. It, I am still wrapping my head around the fact that like, when I think FBI, so I used to read mm-hmm. like these Patricia Cornwell's right. K. Scarpetta books. And so when I think FBI agent, I think like a psychologist yeah, who like, like this, this profiles forensic people. person yeah. or this, this, this like technical detective. Exactly. But like the head of the FBI is a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, which of course, right? You want someone who understands sure. laws a to be in yeah. particular, yeah. I think. And I know very good and well that lawyers are certainly in the justice system, yeah. that they are law enforcement. And he's he's always struck me as someone who seems to genuinely have closely held ideological convictions. So that is what I'm interested in finding out. So I bought this book expecting, I hadn't seen interviews or read mm-hmm. any clips knowing that those would be the salacious bits, um, expecting a certain amount of trash. Mm-hmm. Some trash talk talking, about, Trump. Yeah, and, the hairs, so. hands or whatever, right? Like, right. A little bit of that. And then also some possibly BS FBI analysis. Trump is like a mafia boss, right? right? Which, Which is one of the famous quotes that, that he said in interviews. Right, right. Um, and he is he is certainly fascinated with, with mafia boss psychology. And organized crime. And yeah, so yeah. Since, I think, since he worked in New York doing a lot of that stuff. It's a well-written book so far. You can I can see the places where he's setting himself up to have a certain image to have a certain presentation mm-hmm. telling stories in which his younger brother is much braver than he is in a in an in-home robbery that takes place his brother's mm-hmm. like we have to stop him he could hurt other people and Kobe's like we're gonna hide in the bathroom right and in order to be self-effacing to not come across right. as if he's trying to make himself a hero right and i can see how all this is gonna play out later right mm-hmm. him working under giuliani and seeing that kind of personality take over the office and be a be a show star it's not like i guess you could say it's badly written that i'm seeing the tactics happening um but i'm also like a pretty savvy reader yeah i mean i don't think that seeing the literary (laughs) techniques makes it a badly written thing okay good like as long as it as long as it doesn't feel like they're trying to hide it from you no i don't think so yeah but it's good so far i'm interested to see like you know he's by calling it a higher loyalty he's clearly propping up the institution that is the executive branch, right? Yeah. Or the justice branch, whichever branch of our government that people are working for the institution, not working for a particular person. People are bureaucratic employees, not right. the president's employees. What he thinks that means ideologically, obviously he's going to say something like justice, right? Mm-hmm. But like rule of law. Rule of law, except that he's already shown some gray areas in that. Sure. Um, people lie to the FBI all the time. Mm-hmm. And he gives a, an interesting story. He doesn't name names because he's like, I feel bad for this guy. He's like, dude, don't lie. Don't lie right now. This dude is going to, you're, you are going to be betrayed. You lie to me and I'll have to prosecute you and all this stuff. And, and the dude lies and he ends up taking the fall, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and he's like, it's a bad situation. And so it's, it's this mix of, of cool sort of ideological stories in which Comey is both telling interesting tales and showing himself through that lens and then mm-hmm. also these sort of bigger stories like i'm i'm in the midst of the the scooter libby bush stuff mm-hmm. um and the the sort of the squabbles you know cheney didn't like him and all this sort of stuff and then there's the stuff about giuliani and how giuliani ran his office and and that sort of thing. like these bigger things that are the the combination of the two are clearly going to eventually culminate in yeah. what was it like late Obama early Trump all these all these echoes where you know now Giuliani is going to be Jesus. working for sorry. Trump's <laughs> for Trump's organi- uh, I'm trying to forget I mean he's he's going to be part of Trump's cabinet essentially right. um, and uh, Scooter Libby was just pardoned and, by Trump so exactly. there's sort of echoes yep so it's an interesting read I don't know if Comey was good at his job. Yeah, I have no way to evaluate on any axis whether Comey was good at his job. Right. I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't work in law enforcement. I don't as much as I mean, there are ways in which I critique. There are plenty of ways in which I critique the law enforcement institution and including mm-hmm. our executive branch institution. So maybe I can just disagree with him on ideology there. Right. But I don't really 
there there are t- 15 rumors about whether he was good or not at his yeah. job it's weird um, how little that really matters like no one has ever suggested that he was fired because he was a bad director in general it's always I different think, excuses have been given yeah but it's almost always he did this specific thing where right. he didn't do this specific thing i don't know that anyone's ever been like really discussed in public yeah he was skilled or but not skilled. I think it matters to me. Yeah, sure. So, like, when I read this book, so, like, let's say Mueller wrote mm-hmm. a book like this. The special prosecutor special investigating prosecutor. But election also stuff. the FBI director that Comey worked for. Yes. <laughs> um, same person. So, if Mueller wrote the book, right, he has this reputation for having been immensely skilled at his job. That's mm-hmm. why he was picked to be the, the special investigator or whatever. That book I would read with a little bit more sort of... Um, and sort of the epistemology sense of like trust and authority of the knowledge. Yeah. Whereas while, while I'm reading Comey, not only do I get to go, I have no idea if this guy's just full of shit. And I don't know if what he has done. You don't know if he's being honest about right. even the parts that he's being truthful about. Exactly. Like if he's presenting them in an honest way. Exactly. So it's a, it's an interesting read. It's one of those things that I am enjoying it from like a, from a storytelling standpoint and, and the details of it. Um, but I'm also holding it at a distance that I, I don't integrate. Like when, when Trevor Noah wrote about his experiences living in South Africa, cool, 100%, I'm in. Obviously, this is his one experience. I do not pretend to understand South African life as a right. result of having read that book. But I could hold that story very closely and mm-hmm. treat it as a real thing and feel it. Uh, whereas with this Comey book, there's a lot more distance there mm-hmm. because it is dealing with things that are real heavy institutions that hurt people where i live and i cannot take what he writes as truth or gospel yeah it's interesting it's complicated to read yeah it's a break from all my podcasts yeah <laughs> so we've we've talked about a bunch of different facets of ways in which you kind of have discussions that are about a broader thing that comey book People aren't actually reading it to find, mostly, to find out cool stuff about the childhood of Comey, right? They should, though. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's interesting. I wasn't expecting it, but... (laughs) But really, people are most interested in it because of this kind of ideological investment they have in the greater cultural discussion that Comey's related to. Yeah. And, I mean, that interpersonal stack exchange situation is clearly... Both sides don't seem particularly interested in getting the correct answer for an individual question. Right. They're fighting this cultural war by proxy through these arguments about specific questions. Exactly. And is it better to just be honest and open about that ideology and to cut the the pretense? Are you telling me that IPS's meta needs to have a meta conversation? I mean... (laughs) Or just be more meta, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like, just close all the, <laughs> do we care about SGW stuff with this question and just be like, hey, is social justice our priority? Is personal actualization our priority? Can we find a way to not have those things have to be the priority? Hopefully you don't have to make social justice a priority to enable there to be questions in which... You can have an answer that has a social justice or not a social justice perspective. Uh, I'm not sure that in our current culture that you, I think in our current culture you might have to make hash it a that priority out. though. Like, a priority, sure. Mm, yeah. Like you know, what's what are your top ten values? If you know, <laughs> one of them being social justice, I would like. But can you have those meta conversations? Because in many many communities there are rules about don't have these open discussions yep. because they devolve into yep. arguments and flame wars. We saw that in Mind's Eye Society, right? Yeah. Like every time anyone, any kind of ideological discussion like that came up about consent, about boundaries in play, mm-hmm. things just went to hell in a handbasket. And that's a live action role playing group where people dressed up like vampires and, and yeah, play acted at having fights. And, and having politics. Political fights, yes. Immense politics, and they couldn't have political discussions. So, (laughs) boy, I don't know. Like, I don't actually have confidence that a direct ideological conversation is going to be resolved. And I I don't know that that's the right way to go for them. I think that if they clarify tools use, this is what comments are for, this is what answers are for, and they get consensus on the meanings of those then they could pull that site back from the brink. It wouldn't be great, mm, but, maybe. but it's the fact that 
they say, what you did here was just argue in the comments. And the person says, no, I was asking for clarification. Right? They're arguing about the tools. Mm-hmm. You don't, I don't think you have to have those ideological discussions. Because if both sides, all three sides, post answers, you've done it. You've done it. <laughs> right. Success. And then the person can say, am I an SJW? But I'll part pick of, the one where I... But part of that, part of that <laughs> proxy war, right, that proxy argument is that people say, well, if I posted in the in the answers, it would get voted down because this site is all full of SJWs, right? Or the opposite, right? Right. They're trying to advance their ideological viewpoint by going around Jack's barn and kind of approaching it from a weird angle. Yeah. And I don't know, I feel like maybe in this sort of situation, if you're not confident in that ideological discussion, mm-hmm. you gotta you have a do something by fiat. Oh. Like, I mean, it might mean that you're having a vote. Do we want this or this? No discussion. Ooh. And whichever gets the most, you're like, okay, this is our stance on this. Which is not the Stack Exchange way. Which and is it's, not the Stack Exchange way. And it is not a consensus thing. Right. Because there's, I feel like there's at some point at which consensus stops and you get to where are the boundaries of our community yeah because otherwise you're just trying to get consensus with the whole human race which is going to take a long time probably long enough that then you'll have to get consensus with things that aren't human (laughs) we can only hope yes so thank you for talking to me today and thank you for talking to me and thank you all for listening this has been audacious compassion if you have a question or a prompt for discussion please submit it to us at averyweird.net that's A-V-E-R-Y dash W-E-I-R dot net. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at AudaciousCast. And we'd really appreciate it if you'd like us and follow us, give us a review or a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, any place that you find the show. Uh, we really appreciate that because we basically depend on that sort of sharing f- to expand our audience the most. Mm-hmm. I'm Gregory Avery Weir, and I can be found on Twitter at Gregory Weir. I'm Melissa Avery Weir, and I can be found at Melissa Avery Weir at Mastodon.social. And together, we run Future Proof Games, which is a video game studio that lives at futureproofgames.com. Our theme music is Invisible Light by Josh Woodward, available under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. Talk to you later. Mm-hmm.